Well, good morning. It's good to have you joining us for our uh, what is possibly our last live stream without a live service, uh, because this next Sunday, June the 7th, we're going to be meeting live here at Trinity. Now, we're going to be also, at the same time, streaming our services. So uh, there's going to be some more information to come out for that. Hopefully some of you have already gotten some. Uh, but uh, church is not going to be exactly like it was whenever we quit having church. But uh, I'm believing God to show up and just show off uh, as his congregation comes back together. We're so glad that uh, uh, we're going to be meeting next Sunday, June 7th, in person here at Trinity Church. Uh, so uh, we expect uh, uh, some of you to be able to stay home, some of you to uh, join us live, and uh, regardless of how you uh, how you join in, we just encourage you to join in. So God bless you this morning. Let's take a few minutes and worship the Lord. We're thankful for our worship team and our tech team that have been faithfully bringing these broadcasts to you every week. Uh, so let's just take a few moments and worship. Amen.
Amen. This morning, Lord, we are here so that we can spend time to praise and worship you, to give you glory and honor. And Lord, we, Lord, we ask you this morning to come into our midst and bring refreshing into our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Let's just take a few moments and jump into the Word. I believe God has a good Word for us this morning as we, uh, as we endeavor to come back together and begin uh, this process of, of taking Trinity to the community. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the Word. Father, we love you. We thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that works in us and through us. Father, this morning we ask the power of your Spirit to anoint this Word, to anoint all of us as we listen, Father, that it might get deep inside of us, Lord God, to ultimately change us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I, I uh, was uh, debating what it was that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me to say, and I really believe that this message is so imperative for us as a body, for us as a church, so as whenever we begin to, to, to do the things that God has called us to do, how important it is for us to have the right ingredients, amen? So question for you, I mean, wouldn't it be good if Jesus manifests in our service? In other words, if he showed up in our service, wouldn't it be cool if he showed up for our church services? And the answer obviously is yes. So how do we how do we accomplish that? How do we how do we get Jesus to manifest in what we're doing? We come together on Sundays. We come together for the various things that we do in small groups and prayer ministries, so on and so forth. So how do we get Jesus to manifest? Well, I think that the Bible clearly tells us the way Jesus manifests himself in the midst of people's lives. So one thing to do and Jesus will manifest. So a couple of scriptures. This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Very familiar portion of scripture. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, the writer of Galatians comes and he gives us this, this list of what the Spirit of God produces in us, the fruit of the Spirit. So whenever he's living in us, this, these are the things that he's going to produce. He starts off with this, this word called love, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In John chapter 14, verses 20 and 21, listen to what it says. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and listen to this, and manifest myself in him. You see, I think the key to a, to a radical church that has the presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of everything that they're doing is a church that operates in love. Because where there is love, Jesus is there. Because whenever Jesus is there, remember this, Jesus changes everything. I've read this story several times in a couple of sermons that I've preached, but I want to read it again because it just, it just so manifests 
the, the, the idea of what love is. So this is a story about a man named David Ireland, and he's, he's actually writing to his unborn child. So this is what he says. He says, your mother is very special. Few men know what it is like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel and put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, put me in the seat, uh, put me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair and put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, pull it out of the garage, get out, pull the garage door down, get back into the car and drive to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, pushes the pedals up, gets me in the chair, closes and locks the car, pushes me into the restaurant and takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down and have dinner and she feeds me throughout the entire meal and when it is over, she pays for the meal and pushes the wheelchair out to the car again and reverses and reverses the same routine. And then when it's all over, your mother, my wife, looks at me with real warmth and she says, honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. And the dad wrote his child and said, I never know quite how to answer your mother. This is a story that really gives us a picture of what love is. The length that another human being will go to for someone who is handicapped. There's a couple of things I believe that are are misunderstood about what love is and about love. I think in general, our society has some misconceptions or misunderstandings. So mis misunderstanding number one, love develops automatically in an unpremeditated way. In other words, love just happens. It just happens. It just really no forethought to it. It just happens. It's, it, it, it is, love happens in a premeditated way, not an not an unpremeditated way. The scripture tells us how to love, and the scripture tells us who to love. In, in 1 John 3.10, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. In 1 John 3.14, it says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So you can't know and love God and then hate people. It's impossible. Because if you know and you love God, there's something come, going to come out of you that's going to cause you to have that love for other people. This is 1 John 3.18. It says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3.23. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. 1 John 4.7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 4.12, 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. This is 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. You say, Pastor, wow, that's a lot of Scripture. I'm just telling you, the Bible tells us who to love, and it tells us how to love. So if if we were normal, I mean, if love were, were just normal, if love happened in that 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 unpremeditated way. In other words, it just it just kind of fall into it. If it was normal for people to love, my question for you is this. Why is there so much instruction in the Bible about us loving? You see, because love isn't normal. It's something that God, ha- God puts in us, and it happens because we are connected to God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is what the Spirit of God on the inside of us produces through our lives. So if it was normal, everybody would be doing it, but it's not normal. So the Bible has to give us all of this instruction on how to love, who to love, so on and so forth. Because we have to work at loving, we have to love, we have to work really hard at loving. That's that's something that I think we all have to come to grips with, is it's not just something we, we, we experience because we're alive. It's not something just we experience because we get up in the, in, in the mornings. It's something we have to work at. We have to work really hard. Love is a decision that you and I make. It doesn't happen automatically. We decide to do one loving thing after another loving thing after another another loving thing. We decide to love. We work hard at loving. So the second misunderstanding is this. Second misunderstanding about love. Many people believe that just because they understand the definition of love, then they're naturally going to love. I mean, there's several words in in the Greek language that steer us towards love and give us an explanation of of the different kinds of love. Four different words. The eros, which is the sensual kind of love. That would be between like a husband and wife. And then there's storge. That's the family kind of love, the the natural kind of love that you would have for your family members. There's phile. Phile is the kind of love that you have for a friend. You have a good friend and you love that friend. And then the last word that I want to point out this morning is the agape kind of love. That agape is God's kind of love. And and understand this, there's nothing about that love besides it is a giving love. It's always giving. It's always giving. God is always giving. So the agape kind of love is the kind of love that God wants us to have for people. But we have to decide to love. We have to decide. We're going to love people. We're going to love our neighbors. We're going to love our coworkers. We have to decide to love. And then we have to continually practice love. We got to go out of our way to love on people. C.S. Lewis said this in his, his book, The Four Loves. He said, Agape is the highest and the noblest form of love, which sees something infinitely precious in its object. You see, for you and I to love people, it's like uh, on Wednesday nights, we've got some kids that come, and some of them are perhaps a little bit more difficult to love than others. 
but you have to look past the difficult part of loving them, and you have to look at who they are, are to become, what they are to God, that, that you see something infinitely precious in that person. So you look past their faults. You look past the, the difficult parts of who they are, and you love them anyway. So uh, it's the highest and noblest form of love, according to C.S. Lewis. Bishop Neal, Stephen Neal says this, it is a steady direction of the will towards another's lasting good. So agape love is a, is a steady direction of our will towards another person's lasting good. You, you have to be concerned about the person, and you have to have a relationship with that person. That's, that's the kind of love that God wants us to have. And you say, well, Pastor, how, how do I have that? Because there's neighbors that I have, they're, they're really, you know, kind of weird and, you know, they don't have anything to do with me. I don't have anything to do with them. You know, I got coworkers the same way. I've got people that I know, different relationships that, you know, they're just, they're just not people that I would necessarily come to love. Well, let me just give you this little tidbit. Your emotions follow your decisions. So maybe you don't love them right now. Maybe you look at them and they just rub you all the wrong ways. Again, whenever you decide to love, you begin to move towards that love. Your actions begin to, to, to work out that love. Your emotions, that, that actual feeling of love, is going to follow the decisions that you make. So I decide to love. I decide to do things that are loving. I continually do things that are loving. Then ultimately your emotions are going to follow your decisions. I don't think there's a whole lot of people that understand their potential to harm other people with the words that they speak and the actions that they take. You know, the old saying, sticks and stones uh, uh, break my bones, but words will never hurt them. That's absolutely false. What, what you say is important. How you say what you say is important. Um, uh, several years ago, there was a, a person who had uh, been trying to get their friend to come to church with them. And over and over and over, they had, you know, asked them to come. They had requested them to come. They had, you know, made all the various uh, appointments to come. But this friend never came until ultimately one Sunday, this friend decided to come. And so, uh, so, uh, you know, so very happy that this is the first time to get to come to church. But at the front door of the church, one of the ushers or one of the greeters, I'm not exactly sure who it was, as this young man entered the building, they told him, said, man, if you're going to come into this church, take your hat off because we don't allow any of that in this church. And this young man literally turned around and left the church because he was going through treatments that had caused all of his hair to fall out. He was, he was a leukemia patient. And so he's very self-conscious about his bald head. And so, so disappointing. Our words, our actions can bring so much pain to people. I really believe that, that if you, you take an overall snapshot of the church today, Christians are madder now than they ever have been. Yeah, I said Christians are madder. They're more angry now than they ever have been. Christians seem to be long on madness and short on mercy. We ought to be a people that gives mercy over and over and grace over and over. 
We ought to be a people that are compassionate, not a people that are mad. I understand there's all kinds of political viewpoints out there that maybe not set just exactly right with us, but instead of being angry about it, we got to see where that person came from, what it is that shaped their lives, what it is that shaped their beliefs. And we got to be a people that are merciful, not a people that just puts a check mark next to their name and says, I write them off because of the way that they see this world. A church of love, a church of action, a church of love actions is possible. And I believe that that's what Trinity Church is going to become. Love is possible. Love actions are possible. And that's what we're moving towards. I want to take the last part of this message and talk to you about radical passion. That's really the title of my message this morning is a radical passion. Radical, passionate people. Radical, passionate church. So this is a story that I've used many times to teach, but I believe today, whenever we look at it, God's going to show us something very unique in this story. This is in Luke chapter 5, and I want to begin reading in verse number 17. One day, as he was teaching, this is Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Listen now, Jesus is teaching. He's in a house. He's teaching all of these people. And it says the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. So let's go on. Verse number uh, 18. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Man, whenever you begin to look at this picture of what happened, You get a man paralyzed, laying on a mat, and he's carried to where Jesus is. The whole point of this is to get him in front of Jesus. Because remember, the power of the Lord was present for the sick to be healed. And so they wanted to get this man, this paralytic, in front of Jesus because they believed if that could ever happen, their friend, this paralyzed man, for whatever reason he's paralyzed, now he's going to be up walking and, and back to his family. So they came, they began to try to press in through the crowd in order to get this man in front of Jesus. Ultimately, they came uh, to the conclusion this was never going to happen. And so they went up on the roof, they tore apart the roof, and they lowered this man in front of Jesus. 
on this mat. They tied ropes, I guess, on the corners, and they they let him down. I got to be honest with you. Whenever you look at this story, you think, man, this guy's friends were crazy. They were crazy people. They were crazy to have done what it is that they did. But I say to you that they probably weren't crazy. I think that they were radically passionate people. It says whenever they could find no way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, they lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the midst of the uh, in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. So let's look at this. Talk about radical, talk about passion. If you're a radical, somebody comes up to you and says, Man, you you are just you're a radical. This is what it means. A person who holds or follow follows a strong conviction and or extreme principles, an extremist. So that's a radical. So if you're radical, that's what you are. You hold and you follow these strong convictions. You follow extreme principles. You're an extremist. But let's look at passion. It says a a capacity for emotion, strong feeling, prompting to action. So these feelings, they prompt you to action. Anger, wrath, love, uh, fondness, eager desire, and controlling inclination. So all of these things can be passionate. You can have passionate anger. You can have passionate uh, wrath. You can have passionate love. So this capacity for emotion, feeling that is prompting action. So you're a radical. You're, you hold these strong convictions. You hold these uh, extreme principles, but you also have this feeling, this, this strong feeling that prompts you to action. I can remember one time hearing the story about a little squirrel that had that had fallen out of a nest, out of a squirrel nest, and and this family had recovered this little squirrel down at the bottom of the tree, which was not able yet to be away from its mom, and they did everything they could to get this little squirrel back up in this nest. You see, what they did is they were they were they were moved with a strong feeling to take action. They didn't just leave the squirrel there. They thought, oh, poor little squirrel. I can't believe he's, he's going to die without his mom. And so they were, they were moved with a strong feeling to take action. So what do we as a people get passionate about these days? I mean, if you said that America was a passionate nation, what are they passionate about? If you said that Trinity Church is a passionate church, what are they passionate about? I mean, if you said, I'm a passionate person, Pastor, well, tell me what you're passionate about. I can tell you that our world as a whole has an extreme passion for evil. My goodness, every kind of evil that exists out there is is being brought about on this globe by somebody, a passion for evil. We have a passion for entertainment. My goodness, you know, how many ever channels that you can get on your TV, and now you've got all these streaming services, you got you got sports, you got entertainment of every different kind. We have a we have a a, a passion for entertainment, we have a passion for sports. I think we got a passion for stuff. I've said this before, you know, we 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 got stuff. 
We got stuff. I was talking to somebody just recently about uh, my pole barn that I built a few years ago. I built it one size and I got so much more stuff that I needed to build onto it and add onto it and add onto it. We, that's the way we are. We're, we're passionate for things. We're fat, passionate for stuff. But what about the things of God? Are we a people that are passionate about the things of God? Are we passionate about the will of God? the will of God for our lives, the will of God for our church. As we begin to move towards coming back together, there's a plan that's on the table. It's called the Acts 2 journey, and we're going to be reviving that plan, if you would, and we're going to be moving toward building this church in this community that God has put us into a into a, a place where Jesus' power, that Jesus forgiving power, his healing power, his delivering power is present in our lives so as that whenever we reach out into this community, we take a harvest for the kingdom of God. But in order to do that, we have to be a people that's passionate about the things of God. We have to be a people who is, is passionate for the things of, uh, or for the will of God. Not only passionate, but I believe we got to become radically passionate. Not just, not just passionate, but just so out of this world passionate. Like these men, they were going to go to any length that they had to in order to get their paralytic friend in front of Jesus. They were radically passionate people. Remember, a capacity for emotion, strong feeling, prompting us to action. What's going to bring us to action? I believe that it is a radical passion is going to cause us to be a, a people that has moved to action because there are lost people outside of the four walls of this church. There's lost people in this community. There's lost people that are your next door neighbors, your friends and coworkers, your family members. What is it going to take for us to become that radically passionate group of people? If we look at our model, Jesus has to be our model. Jesus is perhaps the most radically passionate uh, example that we can find anywhere. Listen to this is what it says in Matthew 26, 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Now know that this scripture is talking about literally just hours before his crucifixion. His ministry, for the most part on this earth, is it's it's over with. He is he's raised up and trained these disciples. They're ready to take over. Well, maybe not exactly ready to take over the church, but but they're fixing to take over the church because Jesus is going to step out of the scene. But before all that happens, Jesus is going to have to go to the cross, and he knows that he's going to be crucified. And so here's the, here's the scripture. He went a little farther. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So Jesus, knowing what he's facing, he's knowing that just hours away, he will be nailed to a cross, and he will die the most horrific death perhaps that anyone could die. Jesus knows this is happening. So he kneels, and he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup, if this could pass, if there's any way. But remember, Jesus is a radically passionate person. He's passionate for, for the job that his heavenly Father has sent him to, to reconcile God with man. So this is what Jesus said, not as I will, but as you will. Nevertheless, not what I want, but it's what you want. There's no one that could ever say that Jesus Christ was not passionate about the things of God. There's no way that anyone could say that Jesus was not radically passionate about the will of God. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but whatever you will. So let's talk about radical passion. Whenever somebody's radically passionate about something, that's all that person can talk about. It's all they can talk about. A, a capacity for emotion, strong feeling that's prompting them to action. So if somebody is radically passionate, it's all they can talk about. I have an idea before uh, this man was brought to the house that Jesus was in and they tried to get in through the door, ultimately went in through the roof. I have an idea that they talked about it a lot. I imagine that they had seen many of the miracles that Jesus had done. Maybe they had heard about the miracles that Jesus had done. I don't believe that this was just some spur-of-the-moment thing. I believe they began to talk about it. They were radically passionate. They said, man, we're going to get you healed, man. We're going to get you healed. We're going to get you back up on your feet. We're going to get you going again. All we got to do is get you to Jesus. That's all we got to do. This radical passion began to boil over inside of their hearts. It was all they could talk about. So whenever they get there, remember, this house is so full, there's no entry point. And so they literally had to create a new entry point so as they could get this guy, their friend, in front of Jesus. Folks, that's what the whole Acts 2 journey is about. It's creating other entry points so that we as a body of believers can bring as many people as we possibly can to make contact with Jesus Christ. So these people, that's what they did. They were radically passionate people that literally went up on top of this man's roof. Somebody owned this house somewhere, and they tore the roof apart so as to get this man down in front of Jesus. I have an idea if this man was inside that owned the house, he's probably screaming out, you crazy people, get off my roof. You crazy people, what are you doing? These radically passionate people created a brand new entry point. There was no door on the roof. There was no skylight on the roof. They tore it apart so as they could get their friend in front of Jesus. They had something on the inside of them that just wouldn't leave it alone. I mean, how many of us would have been deterred whenever we couldn't get in front of Jesus? Whenever the crowd was so thick, was so pressed in tight, we couldn't get in front of Jesus. How many of us would be detoured and just said, man, we'll try it again later. We'll, we'll see if we can catch him another place at another time. But you see, they were radically passionate men, and there was something on the inside of them that just wouldn't leave it alone. I imagine whenever their attempts were foiled, they backed off maybe out to the street and they may have discussed it. You know, man, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to get you in front of Jesus. This is going to happen. You're going to get healed today. This is going to happen. They just had something churning on the inside of them to get their friend in front of Jesus. Passion, a capacity for emotion, a strong feeling that prompts people to action. So this morning, one of my questions is this. I wonder how far that we as a church will go to reach this community. How far will we go? In other words, let me say it a little differently. At what point will we be willing to stop and say, that's enough. We just we can't give give anymore. We can't do anymore. I mean, what point is going to come where we say, you know, we we've tried and tried to reach this community and and we've tried to reach this neighbor. We've tried to reach my family member. How far will we go? 
what point will we say enough and we'll just stop? I mean, for the many years that I've been here at Trinity and year after year, we send thousands and thousands of dollars to the mission field. And I mean, at what point will we be willing to say, listen, you know, we've sent all that money, you know, we, we, we just can't send anymore. I mean, is there any length that we as a church, that we as individuals, we say we will never stop. Is there any length that we will not go to? Is there anything that we will not do in order to reach people for Jesus Christ? Is there anything that we won't do in order to get people in front of Jesus? So the Acts 2 journey, and I know you haven't heard me say this in a while up until today, but the Acts 2 journey we're going to create a whole lot of new entry points, a whole lot of new ways that people can come to know Jesus Christ. So what kind of new entry points are we going to create? I believe small groups is going to play a huge role in what God is going to do in our, in our ministry. And, and we're going to be looking to so many of you to host small groups in your, in your homes or uh, in a restaurant or perhaps even here at church. But we're going to be tapping you so as that, that you can play a part, so that you can become that person who is radically passionate about a friend or a neighbor or a family member that needs Jesus Christ. What kind of new entry points are we going to create? Small groups is going to be one of them. We're going to reach out in so many different ways. And as time unfolds, we will be talking about those ways. Traditionally, we've said as a church, and I don't mean this necessarily as Trinity, but I think as a church as a whole, we've said, you know, if we build it, they'll come. Kind of the uh, fill the dreams thing. You know, if we build a nice church, nice building, they'll come to it. You know, we're, we're, we're here, and they will come to us. Uh, our front door is always open, and we got a big, huge welcome sign out there that says, come on in. If we can just get them through the front door, uh, that's all we need. But you see, these guys couldn't get their friend through the front door, so they made another access point. And that's where we're going to have to get creative. And the power of the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to make so many more entry points for people so as that, that they can come to know Jesus. And I'll be very honest with you, many of these entry points that we're going to be talking about in the next weeks and months, they are untraditional. Many of them have not even been tested and tried. So, But I believe God is leading us to create as many entry points as we possibly can so that friends, neighbors, family members can come to Jesus. Radical passion, radical love drove these men up onto the roof, and I'm sure they had probably never seen it done the way that they did it. So again, as these things uh, begin to unfold here at Trinity through our Acts 2 journey, one of the things that that we're probably going to see is, hey, uh, we've never done it like this before. That's okay. These guys had never did it like this before either, but I, I promise you this, they got some really good results. Look at what it says in verse uh, 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, whenever Jesus saw their faith, Jesus seen the faith of these men, perhaps that man on the mat, that paralytic man that was on the mat, Maybe it was just the guys that were lower down the map. Maybe it was a combination of the two. 
Maybe it was just the faith alone of the men that were lowering them in. We, we don't know exactly, but somehow or another, Jesus says, I, I seen their faith. I seen the faith that was present. You know what happened whenever he seen their faith? The miracles began. So we got to have a radical passion. We have a radical love. We got to have a radical faith. Not just, not just a faith that, that uh, uh, we, we sing about and we teach about, but a faith that we possess. If we're going to do what God has called us to do in this community, if we're going to go where he wants us to go in this community, we have got to be a people of faith. We have to believe that if we can just get them in front of Jesus, that it'll happen. I know that many years ago, whenever I was unsaved, I was lost as you could possibly be lost. I know that there were people who had a radical faith. They had a radical love for me and they began to pray and they began to say, man, if we can just get him in front of Jesus, it'll happen. And sure enough, that faith paid off. The miracles took place whenever their faith reached out to me, reached out to God. Because sure enough, whenever I got in front of Jesus, I gave my life to him and I've never been the same since. If we're going to reach the people that God has called us to reach, if we're going to reach this community that God has called us to reach, then we're going to have to be a people of faith. We're going to have to be a church of faith to touch our community with Jesus through faith. That's what it's going to take. We could touch our community through a whole lot of different things like religion, we could touch our community through religion, but I'll promise you this, it's already been tested, it's already been tried, and it doesn't work. As I close this morning, there's a couple of things that are just really on my heart. Uh, my youngest son brought a video home from college of a, of a man named John Wimber, and uh, many of you probably have heard that name before. He has already passed and gone on to be with the Lord. But John Wimber started a movement uh, 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 way back, I believe, in the, in the early 80s, uh, early 70s perhaps, of uh, the Vineyard Church. Uh, musical revolution literally swept across our nation because of John Wimber. Uh, this was a sermon early on in his career, and he was talking about the first time he came to church, and uh, he listened to the sermons, and uh, they were preached, and they talked a whole lot about going out and doing great things for Jesus. But he said as he kind of lingered for week after week after week, and everybody was talking about doing all these great things for Jesus, he said, I was just ready to go do it. He said, okay, let's don't talk about it. Let's go do it. Let's go do something for Jesus. And he said whenever he was unsaved and he was living for the devil he said the devil let him do all of his stuff but he said now jesus living for him he said i want to go do his stuff i i would just say this if the bible is true and we believe the words that are written down in the scripture then we need to we need to live it we need to do it we need to be a people that moves out into our community through faith because faith literally is a structured obedience to God. In other words, this is his word. This is what he commands us to do. And we go forth doing what his word has told us to do by faith, believing by faith that we'll have results. 
In Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22, it says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Faith works. Faith works. In any endeavor that God moves us into, it will be accomplished totally through our faith. If we believe that, that we can move out as radically passionate people that love on this community around us, that we literally create new ways for people to come into the presence of Jesus Christ, new entry points through the, the, the reaching out of this church body into this community. If we believe whenever they get in front of Jesus that Jesus can change them because Jesus can change anything, faith works. And any endeavor that you and I, as a body of believers, step out, it will be accomplished through our faith. I want to be a, I want to be a pastor that pleases God. I want to have a church that pleases God. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We have to be radically passionate people filled with faith. So two more things this morning, and then, we're, and then we'll get out of here. Two more things that we need to look at. It says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? First point is, whenever you and I begin to step out in faith, whenever we begin to create new entry points for people, whenever this ministry begins to grow and people begin to get set free and, and healed and delivered by the power of Almighty God, the faith that we have will produce controversy. That's what happened with Jesus. The Pharisees, they're, they're all up in arms about, about this faith that is being responded to by the power of Jesus Christ. Faith is going to produce controversy. There's going to be people that say, man, this is weird, this is weird, and I'm packing my bags and leaving. Faith will produce controversy. Number two, whenever you and I begin to step out in faith, faith like this will produce results. So forget about the controversy, but faith like what these men had, these radical, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, faith like what they had produced results. It says, when Jesus knew what they were thinking, he asked, uh, excuse me, I'm going to go forward. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, what have we have seen remarkable things today. You see, this this radically passionate faith, this radically passionate love that drove these men to the roof to open it up, to lower their friend in front of Jesus, it produced results. I believe whenever you and I begin to move into the things that, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us today, to love, to love, to love, that Jesus is manifest in our love, and that radically passionate love, that radically passionate faith is going to move this community 
to know and love Jesus Christ. Love, this radically passionate love, I will say it's going to cost us something as a church. We could probably never be going back to a normal, quote-unquote normal, because it's going to cost us something. It's going to disturb our routines. We're going to have people in our midst that probably are not exactly what we might think is a model church member. I can remember years ago going to a a youth camp and uh, some young men had just gotten saved from a boy's home. Uh, uh, Literally a revival had gone through this boy's home and uh, there were many of these boys that had come. And uh, you have to remember this, they were fresh from a life of sin and they had just received Jesus within the last couple of months, maybe even a few weeks and uh, I was ministering to one of the young men at the altar, and, and uh, it was a great service, and the power of the Holy Spirit was really flowing. And this young man, he began to, to cuss, and he wasn't cussing because he was mad. He was just cussing because that was his vocabulary. And, uh, uh, you know, we might hear some things. We might see some things that uh, are outside of the norm of what church uh, we've experienced. But I say this to you. It's going to cost us something. Jesus was a friend to sinners. We have to be a friend to sinners. And this morning, I'll close with this. What's going to be your mat? What's going to be your point of, um, of entry for someone that you know? Is it going to be an email, a, an invitation personally, maybe uh, some act of kindness? What, what's going to be your mat? And I challenge you this morning to last and certainly not least, is to begin to make that mat, begin to build that mat, begin to construct that mat with acts of kindness, acts of love, radical, passionate love, radical, passionate faith, so that we'll see people come into the very presence of Jesus and their lives will never be the same. I encourage you to build a mat for a lost person. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord, to be in your word this morning, Lord. And this word challenges us. Father, it challenges us because I believe that your church needs to be a radically passionate church, passionate about the things that you have for us, passionate about loving people, passionate about faith, Lord God. I pray in Jesus' name that you will help us to become that church, Lord that this church, Father, would be a a church filled with radically passionate people that are reaching into the community, Father God, in all kinds of ways that your Holy Spirit is going to show and direct us, Father, so as that we might get the maximum amount of people in front of Jesus. Because whenever someone's in front of Jesus, he changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I encourage you to build that mat for somebody who's lost. In Jesus' name, amen.